0: When we look forward now, the challenges are, are there again. You know, there's challenges around greenhouse gases. There's challenges around uh, water quality. There's challenges around dairy beef integration. There's challenges around biodiversity beef. But those challenges will be met once we uh, approach it in the same way as uh, dairy expansion was approached and the industry working together to, to, to meet all of those challenges.
1: Hello, I'm Stuart Childs and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With the Moorpark Open Day taking place on the 4th of July, starting at 8.30am, I thought it would be appropriate to talk to Laurence Chaloux, the head of the Animal and Grassland Research and Innovation Programme at Moorpark, to discuss the challenges the industry now faces, with some of the solutions to many of these challenges being showcased at the Open Day. But I started by asking Laurence to cast his mind back, to think about the challenges the industry faced in the past and how it dealt with it
0: you know i suppose you know you're right the point is like you know to look at the challenges that we face into the future and opportunities it shouldn't all be about challenges but when we look at, uh when we look into the future it's no harm to stand back and look at look at look into the past so you know when i think about this stuff and i think about you know where we were in where the industry was in 07 to 09 you know the signal that had just come that, that milk quotas were going to be removed there was a relaxation of of the the milk quota process and there was you know, uh, the EU Commission said they wanted to see uh, milk production move to areas of competitive advantage. At that point, you know, you, you think about it, um, there was an appetite. We knew that farmers had an appetite for expansion. Uh, what we didn't know, though, is how we process that milk, um, how we'd fund the the expansion process, how we'd sell the product. Or who would sell the product? Would there be a market for the product? And there was a lot of debate about that. And how we'd produce the milk. There was a lot of debate about whether we should flatten the milk curve and uh, go split calving and and have you know have have two calving patterns. And all of those issues were dealt with by the industry working together. It was you know the industry working through the I suppose policy of Food Harvest 2020. Uh, but all of that together resulted in, um, you know, an industry that worked together around, you know, um, expansion at farm level happened. You know, it was a 50% target by 2020. We're at, uh, in terms of solids now, we're at 96% uh, relative to 07-09 um, at the end of 2022. Um, there was, you know, in terms of the processing capacity, the processing capacity was built uh, and and the curve remained the way it was. And the markets were, 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 were got and like, you know, you stand back and you look at the success stories about the Kerrygold brand and you look about um, the story about uh, Irish butter in the US and it's, it's you know, you have the likes of, you know, really the Kardashians or Oprah Winfrey who are, you know, essentially talking about Irish butter in unpaid um, uh, scenarios. So. These are really, really—I uh, suppose—they were big challenges at the time, and they were all addressed by the industry working together, and 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 I suppose dealing with the with the challenges as they came. When we look forward now, the challenges are are there again. You know, there's challenges around greenhouse gases, there's challenges around uh, water quality, there's challenges around dairy beef integration, there's challenges around biodiversity beef. But those challenges will be met. Uh, once we uh, approach it in the same way as uh, dairy expansion was approached, and the industry working together to to, to meet all of those challenges.
1: Okay, so Lawrence, uh when you, when I listen to what you said there, now, you actually have kind of nearly pinched yourself to realise that there were challenges that we kind of, like you said, the industry just came together and went about it and started this problem. The only thing I'll say to you is that like everybody in the industry was pushing in a particular direction at that time. It's a bit of muddying of the waters going on. Uh, pardon the pun now, and we talk about the water piece in a minute. But um, the like, there's a bit of I maybe it's, it's the uh, the advancements in social media and so forth has seen things change a little bit. The dynamic in. Like, there's a lot of people in the industry pushing in a particular direction, but there's a lot of people pushing against the industry as well. So do you think that we can still kind of get everybody on side to try to do exactly as you've explained as what we did in the last decade, where we got everybody put their shoulder to the wheel and pushed in the same direction and we got the solutions?
0: and 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 short if you go back again and look back at the, there was lots and lots of conflicting views at the time you know whether you know we should be flattening the curve whether you know there was issues around contracts uh, in terms of when milk codes were removed there was lots of challenges then and there was lots of conflicting views then and every one of those conflicting views and challenges were met uh, by the industry working together in terms of uh, what i think you're getting at is is the noise is the noise and i call it noise outside the industry and to be honest you know once the industry is led by science and driven by science in terms of the challenges and the solutions then that noise that noise will will be there and it'll be fine but you know for me once we keep science at the middle and uh, the you know the start middle and end um, then I wouldn't overly worry about that noise in the background because ultimately um, we can see that you know in terms of the, ni- the science and the numbers that will ultimately win out. You know, an example for me is there was lots of discussion in the last uh, you know, few years uh, about, uh, you know, sourcing food from, you know, animal source food versus plant for- source food. And the more information we see in terms of, you know, an FAO report that came out in the last couple of months and uh, the health benefits, et cetera, et cetera, all of that, uh, once the science uh, gets out there and the numbers are solid, Uh,
1: then that'll that'll win over at the end of the day so basically what you're saying is uh i know joe often says this now joe Patton, that uh, not everybody is on twitter and that if people pick up the negativity that's coming from that maybe they can get buried in in the whole thing but in in reality not everybody's thinking that way and that there is a very positive message for the industry to tell and it's just about getting everybody in the room sit down together and decide on the plan basically and deliver that plan
0: Absolutely. And, you know, as we all know, know, like anyone that's, you know, and I'm not on Twitter, so maybe it's <laughs> easy for me to say that, but, you know, um, you know everyone that's on Twitter is, is an expert and, you know, you all have your, your, your own opinion. But again, once we stick to the scientific, uh, the numbers, the peer review, um, then we, 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 we get over a lot of that kind of chatter and noise that's there in the background.
1: Yeah, so it was there always, but it's just maybe got a a bigger forum to work in in current uh, times. So look, uh, I suppose there's a couple of things that we probably do need to to deal with. Uh, I was speaking actually to a Dutch group yesterday, and they were very surprised at the cost of production in Ireland. They always felt that it was, uh, or they were, obviously they were thinking back prior to, to last year when costs obviously crept up quite a lot and they're looking like they're going to stay in around that 35, 36 maybe centilitre type scenario. That's a major challenge for the industry, Lawrence. Like it was grand, it worked out okay last year. This year is a very different ball game. Um, Again, talking to some of the co-ops there in the last few days, there's a suggestion that there could be a further correction in price uh, coming. And obviously solids are rising maybe as the year goes on, so that kind of masks it a little but the, the, the margin is definitely going to change dramatically from the big figure that was announced by the NFS the other day. So what do you see as been the, the challenges with the um, competitive side of the dairy farming? You said it there that it was seen a couple of years ago that it was important that we moved the production to the area where it was most competitive. Are we losing our competitiveness a small bit?
0: There's no doubt that 2022 um, was a massive challenge, and it has has spilled into 2023 in terms of cost of production. So, like if we look at the ballpark numbers, cost of production were up somewhere of the order of 30. percent So they were ballpark running at 25 cent uh, a litre, not including a return for own land and labour. And you know, if you wanted to include a a return for own land and labour, you'd probably add 10 10 cent litre onto that. So that's where they were running uh, in 2021, and with you know, 2021 was a slight increase. Um, and in 2022, we know they're up at 35 cent and they look like they're going to be robustly sticky in, in uh, 2023. So that's a real, real challenge. And for me, it's probably the most serious challenge. And, and there needs to be an urgent focus at farm level of taking out costs. Whatever happens at processor level. And, we, you know, it's absolutely um, the right thing to do to, to argue and, and look for higher milk prices. Um, and that should happen. But at farm level, we should all, you know, look at, at what can be done to take out costs out of the system. And I suppose, you know, you look at some of the the increases that we that have happened in in um, in costs. You know, feed and forage costs increased by something like seventy eight percent in in 2022, uh, which is a huge cost. And concentrate costs increased by 33. So, what can we do to take some of those costs out of the system? And, that's the that's the big challenge. So, you know, fertilizer cost price, as we know, is, is coming down, so that's, that's a positive. But can we take the focus uh, and put more focus on things like clover? And, and it looks like it's going to be a good year for clover. Uh, from what I've seen in the last couple of weeks, you know, as the rain start, has started to come again, clover seems to be really taking off. So can we put a strong emphasis on clover at farm level? Um, you know, all our data shows us that we get increased milk yield per cow. Uh, and we take costs out of the system. You know, if our analysis from last year shows that a clover system will increase profitability by four to 500 euros a hectare. So can we put more emphasis on clover? The second one then is feeding. So we fed about 1.2 tons of concentrate uh, in 2022 on average, or the industry fed 1.2 tons. So for me, the big question is, what can we do to take that cost at, you know, at, at, at ballpark 420, 430 euros a ton? Um, that, could come very close to 10 centilitre in terms of the cost of production. So that's completely not sustainable. So can we take feed out of the system? Yeah, it'll mean that you probably reduce milk output, but from a profitability point of view, all our data tells us that when there's adequate grass in the system, so, you know, when there is uh, enough grass in the system, the economic response to additional concentrate is is is, is negative. And especially when we talk about a constant cost of maybe 400 euros, 400 euros uh, plus a ton uh, and milk price heading under that number. So it it is, you know, it is certainly a question that, that we need to look at. And, you know, I'd be talking, you know, for, for individual farmers, every farmer will have different strategies to take costs out of the system. but Unless you start looking at your numbers, unless you, unless you start putting a plan in place, it's impossible to take cost out of systems. You can talk about it, but unless you start looking at your numbers and identifying where the areas are, um, then it's very difficult to take costs out of system. But you're right, short. 35 centilitre uh, as we're at now and are projected to be for 2023 um, is not sustainable in terms of our, our competitive or comparative advantage. The only thing... Um, Our comparative advantage we have in this country in terms of cost of production are our focus on grass. So we need to double down on that focus and ensure that um, we're maximizing our potential from that grass.
1: So you mentioned a very important word in that answer there now Lawrence, adequate in terms of grass availability. Have we slipped a small little bit in terms of uh, I suppose grass growth question mark or actually the amount of that we're trying to feed with what grass we're growing if you know what i mean
0: so yeah and uh, that that it's a, it's a very good question you know um we probably are after you know 2022 was a challenging enough year from a grass growth point of view uh we all remember 2018 we had a tough few weeks uh, just gone by um so the question is and, and i think what you're getting at here is is the stocking rates that we're operating our platforms at um, too high, and I think it's a question that every farmer needs to be ne- needs to be asking themselves. You know, I suppose to understand uh, what your uh, appropriate number of cows are for your for your platform, you 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 need to I suppose experience those numbers. And you know, for the last couple of years, that experience maybe hasn't been um, a useful one or a positive one for some. So I think it's certainly one Stuart, that we need to start looking at: uh, Are we driving the milking platforms too strong? Uh, and what are the implications for that in terms of the cost of production, the feed that's been brought into the system? But also, you know, we're going to talk a little bit in a second about water quality and challenges around greenhouse gases. Are those stocking rates on the platform putting us under bigger pressure than we need to be at an overall system level? And that's a question that that I think needs to be looked at uh, from all uh, farmers' point of view.
1: Yeah, okay. So you mentioned them there now, like, uh... I've heard one of the qua people mention this is uh, the not nearest the throat is the water quality issue. So basically we're under severe pressure, as everybody should be well aware at this stage, to retain our derogation and to hold the 250 where it is. Now you've been a strong advocate for holding that 250 where it is. So... What do? You, what's your rationale for that explain or for that angle that you're taking? You you probably almost could be nearly have been described at one point as being the only person in the industry for a small period there that was trying to hold the line, but you've managed to get a band of people behind you now. I think as well.
0: Yeah. So so basically, when we I suppose we did a piece of work and um, a modelling piece of work in the last uh, six months. Uh, based on a request from DAFM to, to look at and we looked at you know stocking rates and we looked at uh, fertilizer levels and we looked at some of the changes that are all of the changes that are included in the nitrates action program uh, five so the ones that were implemented last year so you know to that's a uh, that's on our website so it's available for anyone to look at and download but what we did was we um, we modelled all of the changes that had been implemented, right? And we we weren't, you know, certain on the modelling approaches we were using, so we used two separate models. When we did that, one model said that the nitrate loss that's going to be saved was somewhere around 12%, and the other model said the savings were going to be 19%, right? So they are um you know from the introduction of banding and and banding is something that hasn't been um i suppose welcomed with over um with 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 open arms by a lot of farmers but in reality when we stand back and look at the numbers we were dealing with an organic end of 85 and that was there since 1994 Um to be honest when DAFM asked us to calculate the what the organic end should be uh we had to we had no idea where that 85 came from so um that was the first piece of work DAFM asked us to do, and that meant when we did that, it when we looked at it, uh, organic N had increased dramatically and w- was up at somewhere around 94 or 95 in, in, in 2021. Uh, but then DAFM asked us to, to develop a banding system. And and again, what does that banding do? It links nitrate loss, uh, it, it 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 links nitrogen output at a cow level, right? So so what it's doing is it's relating if you have a higher milk yield cow she's producing more she's eating more there's more nitrogen coming out of the system and that that's all that banding does it reflects that that, that set of numbers that coupled with reduced chemical nitrogen coupled with um uh, increased um uh, earlier slurry spreading uh, and more soil soil water storage and later spring nitrogen spreading so when we model all that together um, that's the saving somewhere between 12 and 19 percent so then, we were also asked to look at going to 220. So we weren't asked, and as George, you mentioned a point about the derogation going. Um, just to be crystal clear, we were never asked to model um, a derogation going. So I, I think, um, and maybe I'm being, you know, wrong here, but you know, that was something that hasn't been looked at, hasn't been um, looked at from any uh, analysis point of view. When we look at reducing um, from. 250 to 220 yes there is further nitrate leaching saving but it's small relative to the costs. so when we when we when we look at the overall numbers reducing nitrate leaching um is is saving roughly about three percent more by um going to 220. but the implications from a profitability point of view are very strong so just to put it in perspective uh what that analysis showed was a 30 percent. Uh sorry, uh introduction of banding for a farmer that's in band tree and going to 220 would reduce profitability by up to uh 30% on farm, which is huge uh for a dairy farm. And and, and it's something that we need to be really clear on in terms of, of the implications. And from what you know what we know now uh, is a relatively small effect on uh nitrate leaching. That's one point. The second point then is when we look at the um catchments uh the acps that are run by Chagas, the acp catchments what we can see here is that in in essence um uh, and we look at the timolega in particular because that's a you know a, a catchment is a strong that has derogation we can see that from 2010 to 2022 there's probably no change in water quality even though the organic end per hectare has gone from 130 to over 180. so in that time period we've had a fairly dramatic increase in stock rate but no um change in water quality and that's a really 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 positive uh now does that mean the water quality is perfect in the timothy catchment no and it means that there's further work to be done but what we can say here is that the increase in stocking rate didn't result in an increase in 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 what in in, you know nitrate in the water
1: okay so and like the same thing i suppose are we an easy target in that sense and i suppose the same question applies to the greenhouse gas emissions piece like i mean there's greenhouse gas emissions from everything that's going on around the world but agriculture just seems to be having the finger bit, blame pointed at it the whole time is it just because there's a lot of farmers out there and they can't all be unified together as such I suppose look that's the role of the farm organizations to try to kick back there but the, the people are taking a bit of a kicking on this is the, the biggest problem I see with it the morale is low because people are just like what's this all for what's the direction it's very hard to plan a future currently in farming the way things keep changing and stuff so what's uh your take on, on that side of the, the the greenhouse gas emissions and the finger of blame piece as well i suppose
0: no no it is you're right and and you know you know you mentioned chatter and noise in the background and uh, you know that can be quite damaging for farmers in terms of the investment piece you know if you want farmers to invest in technologies to reduce the lost pathways well then you know if there's chatter in the background saying that there's you know change is going to come in stock and rate restrictions well that farmer is not going to be uh, encouraged to to invest so that that is a bit of a problem but I suppose for me I take positive again I go back to the numbers and go back to the science and um, the most recent EPA report that came out in the last week in terms of the twenty twenty two numbers you know to be honest i'm looking at that and i 'm saying right you know you le- you read the headline in that and it says that there's no change in 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 water quality and that's that's a big problem. But when you actually dig into the numbers and you dig into this report, I think there's some really nice positives. It's not perfect. There is substantial improvements still needed, but I still think there's a lot of positives in this report that we can, that we can look at. And, and for me, looking at this report, there is, you know, something that, that I think we can be, uh, I think we can be quite positive that there is change happening and, and that change is starting to work out in the numbers. For example, And, you know, if we look at the uh, water quality uh, and look at, you know, high and good, which is where, you know, we want all water quality to be, there's no change in terms of of that in the last three reports. So 16 to 18, 19 to 21, and uh, 19 to 22. So there's no change in in high and good there, right? Uh, They're all at 56% and we need that to increase, right? So that's clear. But when we look within it, high is increasing. So high was 15% in 16 to 18, 16% in the 19 to 21 and 17% in the 19 to 22 so that is that is increasing in terms of bad so you know it was about four and a half percent when we go back to the initial 87 to 90 period that were bad or classified as bad and and in in 19 to 22 there's only two and none of those from my reading of the report none of those are um, you know uh, related to agriculture. If we look at uh, the overall numbers for 2022, 84 rivers improved in water quality, 77 declined, so more improved uh, than disimproved. If we look at the high quality, uh, the high status, basically what that shows is that there, you know, there is a, an increase in the high quality status, and in the 19, 2019 to 2022, there was 1.2% in the high quality status. Um, you know, up from 1%, you know, it was the highest in, in a decade, essentially. And um, so that looks like it's going the, the right direction. If you look at, in terms of river river nitrate concentration, in the 18 to 20, uh, 2020 period, there was 36% in the high status. In the 19 to 21 period, it was 39%. And in the 2020 to 22 period, that was up to 41. So that's increasing all the time. Again, a positive. If we look at high and good together, in the 18 to 20, 2020 period, there was 53%. In the 19 to 21, there was 57%. And the 2020 to, tw- to 2022, there was 60%. So again, all go in the right direction. Uh, are they going as fast as we want? Are they as high as we want? Absolutely not, but they are going in the right direction. And, and again, it's important to draw out those positives. And, and I suppose it's also important to draw out, you know, there was an increase in the nitrate concentration in 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 you know in the river so that's something that we need to uh, work on and most of that increase was in the south uh, east region and the midlands and and eastern region together the final thing that i thought was quite positive in 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 this report is the estuaries and essentially what the estuaries um data is telling us is i think about 80 percent of the estuaries were in the were in good um you know what we want them to be and um, And um, that was at 75% uh, a few years ago. So again, improvement. So what is that conclusion? Does it mean that we are where we want to be? No, but it does say that we are uh, going the right direction. And it's important that we dig into these reports and pull out this uh, information because it's generally all in the reports.
1: Yeah, so it's it's not really helpful then, Lawrence, that whoever's interpreting that report is giving the message that agriculture is fully to blame for all of this, because everything you said there would contradict what, what was mentioned in the media last week.
0: And again, that's why I think it's important that that farmers take download. These are excellent reports from the EPA and I think it's important that farmers um, look at these reports and go through them. They're very simple and they're easy to look at and and farmers should be informing themselves of what the numbers are in these reports.
1: That's the water. I won't say it's dealt with, but we're working on it. And as you've outlined there, the progress is in the right direction, which is important.
0: Important to note, though, so, Stuart, it's it's not there. You know, it's
1: a lot done, more to do. To paraphrase a, a farmer, great um, party, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The um the greenhouse gas emissions piece then is the other elephant in the room, I suppose, and again a lot of uncertainty for farmers. And you've you've nailed it on the head there straight away. Very very hard for farmers, like we talk about adequate slurry storage and all of these, and farms maybe expanding and trying to match their storage requirements and so forth, and a bit kind of taking a punt in 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 essence at the moment to actually go building anything because. might be putting up storage for stock you won't have in two years' time, the way things have been spoken about. Again, maybe just the the nature of the media in the present day making that seem like a reality. But there's a lot of positive... uh, scope for the industry to achieve the targets or to go in the right direction okay we need some new technologies maybe and you're working on them i suppose and that's more of a reason for people to come on the 4th of july to see what's what is being done here a huge amount of work going on but what's your take on the on the ghg piece we'll say and how it's going to influence the industry
0: yeah and again um you know we have a, a target our agriculture has a target to reduce emissions by 25 percent by 2030 relative to 2018 and uh, obviously, that is a lower target than than other sectors, because the whole of society is a target to reduce emissions by 51%. Uh, but I suppose it is important to say at the outset here, Stuart, that it is, you know, climate change. From what we're looking at, um, from the data, is is appears to be real. It is real, and it is something that we need to take serious. And uh, agriculture must and should play its part in terms of uh, reducing emissions. So in terms of 25% reduction target yet, it's going to be a real, real challenge. Um, um, And I suppose for me, I'm breaking it into two things. First, break it into the technologies that we have today um, to implement at farm level, and then take a little look at the technologies that we're we're looking at for the future and things that are showing significant promise. So the things that we can do today at farm level, you know, like what we know now is increasing EBI will reduce uh, greenhouse gases. We know that reducing the age of slaughter will reduce greenhouse gases we know that uh, increasing soil fertility and introducing clover and replacing chemical nitrogen will reduce uh, greenhouse gases we know that using protected urea will reduce greenhouse gases we know that drainage of mineral soils will help reduce greenhouse gases uh, so there's lots of things we know and can be implementing um fairly rapidly now at farm level and and that's that's part of the the puzzle for me for farmers today that's what you know their part of the bargain will say is those technologies should should be should be taken on as soon as possible most of them will result in an increase in profitability or definitely not a deterioration in profit so that's the first step and then there's the there's the um, technologies that we're looking at for the future, and there's lots and lots of those, and there's lots of work going on, and there's huge investment, and that investment is getting bigger all the time in terms of new technologies, whether that's on looking at different types of, uh, you know, genetics and its impact on uh, meat and emission factors, whether it's around looking at um, uh, fertilizer emission factors, whether it's around looking at um, land use emission factors, whether it's around looking at Feed additives. There's a huge amount of work going on, so I'm very positive about what can be done uh, as we go into the future and what's possible uh, as we go into the future. So that's your 25% target. It, can it be achieved? You know, at the end of the day, I suppose it very much depends on uh, technology take up at farm level and, and getting on the the road to be to be coming close to those targets. I suppose, you know, in a positive sense, it is hoped and expected that agriculture will have reduced its emissions in 2022. Those numbers will come out in the EPA probably in July this year. Uh, But the expectation is that those numbers, uh, those total greenhouse gases will reduce. And I suppose we need momentum uh, to start and we need to continue that momentum. So that's that that's been that that is something that's positive i suppose then if we look at the carbon footprint you know the carbon footprint of irish dairy and beef is really really low so the carbon footprint of um milk that uh, we've just updated now again uh based on 22 data is somewhere around 0.93 kilos of co2 equivalent per kilo of fat and protein corrected milk When we add in uh, the most recent emission factor work that we have um, done that's under peer review, and let's assume that gets uh, published, that brings that figure to 0.86. So just to be clear, you know, that's not including sequestration that puts us in a really 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 strong place or puts the industry in a really strong place uh, as it looks out uh, into the into the, the marketplace and that's something we need to build on and we need to drop that even further um so that you know from a marketing point of view uh, that Irish product is seen as the lowest carbon footprint I- in the world and I have every um expectation hope and um desire that that achieves that that level because I think it can be done
1: yeah, I suppose Lawrence, um, correct me if I'm wrong now. I have a feeling that there was a figure of one point oh eight there at one stage a number of years ago. So and that hasn't that has changed by virtue of the research work that you've been doing in the last few years and modifying and correcting those factors that were being used. We'll say international factors were being assumed there. So the work that has been done so far has delivered nearly 0.2 or 0.25 almost or something. I'm, as I said, I'm open to correction of that figure, but uh so huge uh, huge leap forward in that sense.
0: Yeah, and, and I, like I think there's a number going back not so long ago that's uh, closer to 1.2. So like there's a combination of things happening here. There's progress at farm level in terms of you know productivity, uh, etc. Uh, but there's also new emission factors, as you said. And and I suppose it's important that those uh, new emission factors they're not emissions reductions. They're uh, I suppose they're um, re baselining or, or more clarity around the science. Uh, and it's a combination of those two approaches that's bringing us to where we are uh, today at that point eight six point eight seven. But again, you know, that's that's massive because when you look at, at the international markets, and you look at what's out there in terms of carbon footprint, you know, the international default value for emissions of milk is somewhere around 2.4 kilos of CO2 equivalent per kilo of fat and pro, uh, protein-corrected milk. And to be crystal clear, that 0.86 is not the end point. I, I You know, there, our data and our... Uh, Modelling tells us that that can be brought down to, you know, maybe under 0.7, uh, again, excluding sequestration. So so there's huge potential to go further. And that should be the ambition of every dairy farmer to have the lowest carbon footprint milk in the world. So that, you know, we are in a really strong or the industry is in a really strong place uh, at a market level, as well as an overall emissions point of view from a country point perspective.
1: OK, so last point, Lawrence. I suppose, um, I know this is something that you're passionate about is, um the whole of what we've discussed in the last twenty minutes or twenty-five minutes will go out for naught if there aren't people in the industry. So I suppose some of what we have discussed has been contributing to it, in that the negativity around the industry is probably a little bit off-putting for people. But what can we do in in the in the realm of getting people into dairying? You now we've been very successful with the expansion phase and the abolition of the quota. Obviously, realised. A lot of people's ambitions to start m- milking cows and so forth, and maybe running farms and and all that. What's like? It's a big challenge across every sector. That's the important thing to point out, I suppose. But people are finding it hard to get help um, at every level. Really, like whether it's milking the cows or getting somebody for contractors, getting somebody to do slurry, that kind of stuff. What do you see as being the future for the industry in that sense?
0: you're 100 percent right Stuart, and i actually think that this is the biggest challenge that's in the industry today you know we talked a lot about other stuff there but i think this is probably the biggest challenge that's out there and like we're in let's be crystal clear we're in a society that's at full employment which is really positive and um something that's really good for for society so the question is how do we you know um ensure that the industry has you know people within it and Part of that is generational renewal. Part of it is bringing people into the industry as a, a career choice. And to be honest, that's one of the major focuses as far as on the open day, because we have a forum on it. Um, and, you know, for me, it's about two things. It's about supply and it's about demand. So demand, how can we reduce the amount of labor that um, we need to run the farm? And that's really about practice. It's really about uh, how we do things on the farm. It's really about investing in technologies uh you know smart technologies technologies that will help us reduce labor on the farm so that's reducing the demand side uh, but also we need to be working on the supply side so how do we get more people in and i think we need to be really innovative about this you know for example we have um you know a student uh, on the forum uh, at the open day talking about how she's using you know um milking cows essentially uh, to help her get through college the same as we all worked on you know at something when we were in college and it's hugely positive because it allows her to still get to the football match. It allows her still uh, work as, you know, a social life to have, you know, to go out at night. And I, I think she says that, you know, um, you know, once she can get up for a few hours at six o'clock in the morning with cows, she can go back to bed again. You know, so, you know, you have to we have to be, I suppose, looking at all of the opportunities. And sometimes I don't think we sell ourselves very well in terms of. Uh, the opportunities that are on, you know, dairy farms, whether it's just the milk cows or whether it's it's whatever. Um, so so I think, you know, the People in Dairy Initiative was launched in 2017, um, and it's, you know, it's something that I think we need to work much harder on uh, to, I suppose, you know, I suppose, to show the opportunities that are in the industry, uh, to show whether that's, a you know, uh, seasonal work to get, you know, to, Short term or whether it's long term careers, because there is you know huge opportunities uh, for all types of people uh, within the industry, and I think it's important that that's uh, seen and 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 recognised and that the opportunities are are are, are visible. Because sometimes you know you know a farm is not seen as a place that has employing uh, employing people, and 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 that's something that we need to uh, I suppose change, and we need to uh, I suppose. Put out there that there are business models and opportunities uh
1: on dairy farms okay very good so i suppose Lawrence, uh, just to wrap it up um from what i can take from what you're saying there you're basically a, a call to arms for farmers to come along to the open day on the fourth of july see the technologies that they may already be familiar with in some cases but also see some of the newer technologies that are potentially coming on stream and you're challenging them to pick them up and run with them as fast as they can out of Moor Park on that day, and implement them at home in order to start delivering on the targets that we've been set. And that if we do that, we can achieve what's been set out for us.
0: That's it, Stuart. And and I suppose just you know it's it's half eight on the fourth is is the kickoff, and um, all are welcome. Um, it's free, and we're, we're It's very much for me a communication day. It's a day where. You know, we'll talk, but we want to listen as well. It's not about uh, lectures from the mount. Um, we want to, to hear as well. So, so we very much uh, in, enjoy or want engagement uh, on the day.
1: Very good, Lawrence. Thanks very much for joining me today, and best of luck on the Fourth of July. Thanks, George. That's all for this week's episode of the Dairy Age podcast. And my thanks to Lawrence Chalou for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagos website at chagas.ie. I'm Stuart Childs and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.